The Speaking of Cults podcast is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from it is at the user's own risk. The views, information, or opinions expressed by the host and guests are solely those of the individuals involved and do not constitute medical or other professional advice. Hello, welcome to Speaking of Cults, and this week I am joined, as you can see, by Alexander Barnes-Ross, otherwise known as Apostate Alex on YouTube. Hey, Alex, Happy New Year. How's it going? (laughs) Hey, Chris, thanks for having me, and Happy New Year, and amazing you know congratulations on the launch of the new podcast and you know all of that stuff how how's it going from from your end so far so good uh this is gonna be our second episode and um of the new show uh really just a name change and sort of imaging change we are we are definitely focusing on cults cultic activity coercive control and how that affects us in our daily lives all of us not just us uh you know poor schleps who got caught up in a cult because <laughs> it because actually you know ex-cult members or cult members rather affect lots and lots of people besides just themselves, their family, their friends, even their business associates, etc. So it's worth knowing about this topic and talking about it. And this week, we're diving into some some conjecture, some some suppositions, some ideas, some observations about Scientology, the Church of Scientology and its operations, and what it's been up to over the last many, well, I guess the last couple decades, last few years, and, uh, and where we think uh, things might be going, some ideas we have about what's happening right now, sort of a current state of kind of thing, I think is how I'm kicking this off, but we'll see where it goes. This is a completely unoutlined, unbullet-pointed conversation today. So uh, Alex and I have been talking behind the scenes like we do about, uh, you know, all things Scientology, and, we, and we've got some, uh, some things Alex wanted to talk about regarding um, Scientology's programs and efforts at expansion, and are they really efforts at expansion, or what, what is it that David Miscavige seems to be doing with Scientology these days? So again, Alex, uh, let's get to it. What's, uh, what you got on your mind with yeah, all this? I think it's fa- a fascinating time in Scientology. I mean, if you look at you know, historically what's been going on. We've had the golden age of knowledge, which is when they reviewed all of the books and, you know, found this, you know, thing here. Then we realized that the editor had changed it. And now we're getting back to real. This is exactly what LRH wanted all the books to be like. Yeah. And then it was the golden age of tech or is gone age tech, then the golden age of knowledge, which is all, you know, we found these missing policies and blah, blah, blah. And then we had the golden age of tech too. And now We've got the golden age of admin, which is the last big golden age. You know, there's nothing else left that (laughs) Dave Miscavige can come up with for a golden age because he's done the books, he's done the tech, he's done the admin, which is the, you know, the running of the churches and policies, ethics and all that sort of stuff. Like there is no more LRH to, you know, (laughs) re-edit in a way. Um, So it's interesting. It's kind of something that we we saw coming there's been a lot of talks you know over the last couple of years outside the church of scientology as to you know we knew that this program was happening and we speculated as golden age of admin but internally we have to remember that golden age of admin phrase is probably something that no one's heard until the new year's event that's just gone by Mm -hmm. with dave miscavige at the shrine auditorium because 
let's look at the golden age of tech, which I was on staff for golden age tech two back in 2013, 2014. We all knew there was a big program. Staff were over at Flag Training. You know, there was a new e-meter, but even they didn't know it was a new e-meter. They were the training using the current e-meter with apparently the new technology inside. So it was behaving a little bit differently. They thought something was up, but they weren't using the new e-meter. And it wasn't until Dave Miscavige launched the program after they'd finished their training that we first heard Golden Age of Tech 2. And so we were like, wow, this is amazing. And it's probably the same golden age of admin. There's been people at Flag training on this program for years, um, but they don't really know what it is. They just know that it's this evolution. They know they're training on this and doing this. And now they're coming back to their new to their orgs, ready to, you know, bring that technology back and start start the expansion. Finally, there's nothing in the way to stop us now. Um, I think it's the sentiment inside, but I think it's in, an interesting time for Scientology for sure. Absolutely. I, I, and I agree. I, I think we need to be clear with everybody that um, if you don't know this in terms of a Scientology cultural point or a really foundational belief in Scientology is um, that if you apply Scientology precisely correctly, according to the dictates of L. Ron Hubbard, as written very exactly in numerous bulletins and issues and lectures, then you can't help but succeed. You can't help but help people. You can't help but expand your organizations. If you apply L. Ron Hubbard's policies about how to run an organization, then it is a given. It's a foregone conclusion that expansion is unquestionable. And Scientology is all about expansion. It's about growing itself. There's tons and tons of L. Ron Hubbard uh, issues talking about this matter being of utmost importance to Scientology. It is not just a let's steadily sort of grow ourselves quietly and slowly. It is we've got to expand and we have to expand fast. And so that's sort of an underlying assumption to these golden ages, right? Which are just a label Miscavige came up with for what he thought would be these eras that he was going to create of, of expansion by revising and um, sort of solidifying uh, the, the, you know, finalizing in a way L. Ron Hubbard's words, the, the, the scriptures of Scientology, if you will. And I, and I use that term so loosely. It's really a joke term, uh, you know, because they just they, they take themselves so seriously with this stuff. And it's really just Hubbard's maunderings. It's just his writings and his ramblings. That's, that's really all this stuff is. And it doesn't ensure expansion. And, it, and you can't assume that because it doesn't work. You and I have been on staff. We've, we've done the work and we know that the, if you just apply these things, it doesn't just magically create floods of new people coming in and, and lots and lots of money and lots and lots of expansion. You have to do all these weird, unusual, crazy, and even criminal things to make that happen in Scientology. And that's one of our biggest objections to it. So that all being said, I kind of wanted to lay that as a base as well. So you understand where, like why, why are Scientologists so enraptured by these, by these programs that Miscavige is offering. And he, and he's been offering them since 1996 when the original first golden age of tech was released. This was a big revision of Scientology training and it failed. It failed 
catastrophically it was so bad. It almost created a schism in Scientology, just like they had done back in the 80s, because people were so upset about Miscavige's changes and and the demands to, to train on this new stuff. Golden Age Tech Phase 2 has pretty much been the same thing, right? Let's fix all those mistakes. But they didn't fix them. They just doubled down on them. <laughs> so anyway, that all being said, this Golden Age of Admin, what do you... What have you heard? What do you think this is all about? So we've known for a while that the executives at different orgs around the world have been at flag training on this evolution, this program. Um, You know, if you look at London staff, for example, um, because I know London so well, because I used to work there. So like, if you look at the staff that I know personally that were at flag, and I believe one or two of them are still there, um, finishing up their training, <clears throat> all the executives, so the executive director, the DED, you know, the public exec, set, all of the heads of the divisions in a Scientology organization have all been sent to flag to train on this golden age of admin evolution, which I believe is just, you know, it involves things like, you know, doing the entire OECFU, <laughs> the whole, like, the green volumes, the organization executive course. For those of you who don't know Scientology, these massive, thick, like books of policies, like there are six of them or seven of them, one for each division. Like the whole thing probably is about this wide, you know, these big books with every policy that um, Owen Hubbard wrote yeah, to do with the running of an organization. That's right. Um, so there's the OEC and the FEBC, right? Which is the that's flag right. executive briefing course. So that's a huge course that, you know, executives do to learn how to run a Scientology organization. And my understanding is that all of these execs, I feel so bad for them, have had to do that three times. <laughs> They've had to do oh, the wow. whole OECs three times in full. Right and be word cleared on them you know get them star rated make sure that you fully understand every word of every policy and the whole point is that you can then go back to your org fully hatted fully trained in l ron hubbard policies on how to run a successful org so now there's nothing standing in the way for unprecedented expansion for your organization wherever in the world that is and i'm just thinking these poor these poor 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 people (laughs) i know i know and it's and it really is let's be clear that this is history repeating itself this is um scientology has a principle hubbard laid down that the the cause of earlier i'm I'm paraphrasing because i'm going to change some of the wording here to make it make a little bit more sense the the cause of any earlier success is still capable of causing that success now. Now, that's a, that's a logically fallacious statement. It's not necessarily true at all that just because something caused a success in 1972, that it's going to cause a success in 1992 or 2022. It doesn't work that way <laughs> Sorry, at all, right? <laughs> Chris, that's just made me laugh because I'm just thinking. Uh, I was looking at this. Sorry, slight tangent. But yeah, yeah. I was looking at the stats the other day. So when I was at London Org, you know, I was director of public book sales. So I was selling books and we were wildly successful. We were booming. You know, I was selling two, three thousand books a year. Um, and I found a post on Facebook the other day from a current Scientology staff member at London who basically revealed they'd sold 800 books, sold 800 books this year which is a 62% de- like decrease in the nine years since I was there. 
So based on that logic, you know, if any prior successful action will be successful again, well, that therefore means that they should just bring me back on as director of public book sales. And therefore I would create all these book sales, but that's in complete contradiction to the whole policy of, you know, not having someone on staff who's a, a suppressive person. Correct. <laughs> so exactly. It doesn't work. Exactly. So good luck with that. And this is and this is this old Hubbard simplistic kind of principle that floats around in Scientology and it's used quite abusively actually if we're being honest right because this because this becomes this thing of if it's not succeeding you're just not doing it right because it's because it's supposed to cause it again right so if it did it once it'll do it again so if it's not it's your fault and and you're altering something or changing something when in fact that doesn't necessarily need to be the case at all. You could be doing exactly what you were doing at the earlier period and it just ain't working because times have changed or the culture has changed or, or, or. There's a number of reasons why that wouldn't necessarily work out. And yet, this is a principle Scientology, David Miscavige, as the leader of Scientology, operates on. And that's what all these golden ages are all about is repeating Hubbard's earlier successful programs from the 1970s. And by successful, I again use that term very loosely. But just for a little just for a little history here, for example, in 1972, there were a few things that L. Ron Hubbard directed or that were directed to be done for Scientology internationally, and one of them was executive training. And this is when L. Ron Hubbard actually formulated these courses that you were referring to called the Organization Executive Course and the Flag Executive Briefing Course. And these were supposed to train up super-powered, supercharged executives, and they were brought in from around the world to the boat that Hubbard was on. They always call it a ship. I call it a boat because it really is just a boat, big boat. And he would uh, have a classroom in there, and he would train these Scientology executives through lectures I think there was a series of about 15 or 20 lectures or something, which constitute the bulk of the flag executive briefing course. Statistically, there was a significant rise in Scientology income following those executives going back to their organizations. Well, it wasn't because of Hubbard's brilliant training that they established long-term programs of expansion and success in their organizations. What they did is they, is they figured out how to do what were called postulate checks, which were basically fraudulent fake checks that people would write uh, that didn't have, they weren't, the, the money wasn't in the bank yet, but they were postulating. They were, they were sort of, you know, saying, asserting, uh, thinking, magic thinking that there wouldn't, the money would appear. And so the check would be good. And the churches would take this money and cash it. And it would be on the parishioner to have to deal with the, the fact that they just wrote a bad check to the church and the church would get the money anyway. They weren't giving it back. So if the check bounced, it was up to the parishioner deal, to deal with that. And this postulate check thing was huge. And it was, uh, in fact, one of the largest first international frauds that, you know, like credit card fraud, you know, financial fraud that Scientology engaged in with checks back in 72. And that's what caused the boom, the, the, the expansion of the statistics, not, not the executives being trained uh, so that kind of thing deceives Scientologists because they go, oh, well, he did this training program and then look at what happened with the stats. And, and if you, had to guide, you have to kind of dive into the details to see, no, it was actually that they went criminal for money. And, and they went criminal in a big way, like internationally, sort of reminiscent of the chase wave, which came 
20, what is that? 20, 30, 35 years later, they're at it again. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so they, they do have these periods of statistics going up, but they never nail what actually is causing it to happen. And then they tell Scientologists it's all of L. Ron Hubbard's genius policies that made it happen. And so here we are now with Golden Age of, with Golden Age of Admin, this, this upcoming release of, we're going to repeat the, the boom of 1972, as they call it, the boom, the expansion, the, the, the expansion period, right? And that's kind of what this is based on, I believe. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a very smart move from David Miscavige's um, standpoint as much as mm. dave miscavige is a horrible nasty piece of work yes um he he's he's not stupid right and mm. he he has been very smart in the way he has rolled out these programs mm. you know the time that it takes to do this has been almost perfect from from a marketing standpoint right mm. just when the hype has died down and people are kind of just starting to get a bit like tired of it and you know what's the next thing they're kind of waiting and ready for that's just when he then launches the next one right mm. Mm. golden age of knowledge everyone kind of it was amazing fantastic you know and then if you know a decade or two later people are you know okay, what's the next thing now? You know, we're ready. Then Golden Age of Tech 2 came out. Like, oh, wow, okay. And then 10 years later or nine years later, you know, Golden Age of Admin. So timing-wise, very smart. David Miscavige is like, cool, he needs to keep everyone invigorated and make, you know, make everyone believe that he's doing something towards expanding Scientology and it's this kind of cycle. Um, but what is not so smart is what kind of what he's going to do next because so far he's always been able to use um squirrels as an excuse you know the fact that the reason we're not expanding is because the tech wasn't correct and we've now uncovered the real tech you that's know? right building the on reason that, we're not ex that's right building on that whole principle that if, yeah. if you do it right and then you can't help but boom right so exactly and it's like yeah. well the reason even though we've been doing it right the reason we've not expanded is because turns out it wasn't right. It wasn't the real tech. So now it's, you know, the true LRH tech and then the knowledge, you know, the, the true books. And now finally we've got the admin. It's the final piece of the puzzle. So again, very smart for David Miscavige because it's a valid excuse in the mind of a Scientologist to be like, oh, that makes sense, you know, because actually we believe that if you do it right, it will work. And we have been doing it. It's not been working. Well, that's because it's not been true. It's not been right. Well, now the admin is done. There is nothing more. So it's almost stupid because he has no more excuses left because in 10 years time, when the golden age of admin hype has died down and this unprecedented ex unprecedented expansion hasn't happened because it won't well then what can he do like he's got nothing else to fall back on because he can't use that excuse again he can't say oh well, I, I know i said i got it back to lrh's true policy but turns out actually i was wrong and here is the new one he can't do a platinum age right you know what i mean well actually i'm gonna i'm gonna totally push back on this one because here's what i think because based on history based on what he's been doing for the last 30 or 40 years he has recycled the bridge three separate times 
1991, and then with the basics in what was that 2004 when the when the when their last release of the basics happened. Um where he revised, you know, went back through all the basic books, went through all these lectures, released all this stuff. They did the exact same thing in 1987 and in 1991. The full revision of policy letters, of bulletins, the new, the red volumes, the green volumes, all the books, they were all re-released, new covers, everything. So I don't necessarily think that he doesn't have the capability or ability to do it all again, because he's already done it three times. And there actually is still, right now, as we're talking, um, whole chunks of the grade chart of, the, of Scientology's step-by-step program um, that are missing right now. Uh, namely, and most, most largely, the St. Hill Special Briefing Course. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, that's a big thing. And he's just been sitting on it for 20 years. They just, nobody's doing this course anymore. And it used to be like this $20,000 course. And people would go to Los Angeles or go to St. Hill in England to the St. Hill level organizations and do this class, this course. So he is going to have a hard time now that he's done such a big deal of briefings about that to go back and do that again right away. I think he'll have to give it about 10 years. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, just to give you an example, when I was on staff for Golden Age of Tech 2, you know, there were, were rumblings about this idea of a Golden Age of Admin. And, you know, it, obviously the program started back then, yep. but it wasn't called that. And we all kind of saw it coming. We knew it was going to happen. But, you know, it was all very the, much the beginning of it because we were all very much focused on Golden Age of Tech 2. But, one of the things that we did here was that Dave Miscavige, you know, hired or bought this huge warehouse mm-hmm. and was they were going through the process of literally getting every single piece of writing that L. Ron Hubbard ever did, whether it's on a typewriter or a handwritten note or whatever, absolutely everything. And they were laying it out in a warehouse mm-hmm. in chronological order, that's right. piece by piece, from start of his life to end of his life. And that's the level of detail that they were going to uh, to ensure that they could be 100% correct in what LRH wanted. And that's the level of detail that every single day trying to figure out whether this letter was written at 8.13 in the morning and then this one was written at 11 a.m. in the morning, making sure that it's exactly in order. And anything that was typed up, that was written by a typist, okay, well, let's find the original note that it came. And like they have gone through this with meticulous detail. Yep. That's the work that has gone into this golden age of tech too, and then golden age of admin thing. So I just think once you've admitted that you've gone to that like extent, you cannot go back and say we forgot something or missed something or whatever, because you've already said that you have done that and you cannot get more, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, it, what you're saying absolutely that. is common sense. I don't, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with the, with the, with the concept of it. But the fact of the matter is the guy did do that and he's done it a couple times. And that's why I think to myself, well, that's not going to stop him. 
Um, well, I think you, know. you got to remember what he did was the, the tech, right? He did it with the technology and now he's done it with the admin. So it is kind of different subject. It's not like What's he's done it? the same thing over and over again. He's done the same concept, but with different elements of the scripture. Scripture. Um, I think what I reckon is going to happen, I was talking to Tony Ortega about this recently, mm. is the idea of a golden age of OT, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you've got the, the, well, the tech, you've got the... You knowledge know, you, you, now you've got the admin you know they did do a golden age of ot did they really they did I've in 1998 forever yeah no. no 1998 was the release of the golden age of ot and really that's yes. what it was called well i believe so because they i if i'm remembering it right because they revised all the ot levels this is when it was found that ot7 wasn't being done right right miscavige did this whole thing all the OT7s were called back to flag and had to retrain on this new stuff because they were given two tools to deal with the body thetans or whatever. And Miscavige said, oh, no, there's like 20. And so they, they, they bundled all this together and repackaged it. And it was a big, big deal. And all the OTs had to go back to flag and get rebriefed. There was an IG network, an inspector general network bulletin. In other words, something written by Miscavige, not Hubbard that broke it all down. And I never saw that or read it because obviously I was an OT when I was in Scientology, so I didn't have access to that. But it explained all uh, how OT7 had been being done wrong all this time. And now it was revised and now it was in its you know new updated form. Now, I'm not saying they can't do that shit again. I've just I've been well, saying that from the beginning is he likes to recycle this stuff. So he very well could. But I just wanted to make sure you knew about that 98 thing. Yeah, I didn't. But I think where I'm coming at is not necessarily revising the OT levels, but more pushing people to become OT. I mean, obviously, there's Mm. always been a push to go OT and that's goal and all this. But I have seen what I think is in over the last few years is a concerted effort to push not just everybody, but staff members up the bridge and onto their OT levels. Mm. You know, again, using London as the example, if you look at you know, the Truth About Scientology website where you can look up service completions, you know, you can see how people who've gone up the bridge and, you know, look at the statistics and all of that. I would say 90 to 100% of the London staff members that I remember from my time on staff Mm -hmm. um, all went from PureF or SRD, you know, very beginning lower levels of the bridge to OT3, OT5 uh, within the space of a couple of years, right? From about 2014-ish, to about 2018, 2019, coincides with the chase wave, but also all of the staff, not just one or two, all of them have gone from low level to upper OT levels. And I was recently um, sent some information, a recording from an internal OT committee meeting um, that um, was very interesting in terms of what, you know, I could only hear a snippet of it and and transcript and all this, but there seems to be some like push or evolution towards get, getting people to go OT, right? Mm. And if you compare that with the push with the London staff as well, it seems like things are gearing that way. And when I was speaking to Tony Ortega about this the other day, it's like, well, actually, that would make sense. Once the golden age of admin is complete and all of the staff members of you know, come back and then 10 years later, there's, you know, the hype is dying down. Well, 
now it's kind of like, well, let's get everyone on staff to be OT because then there's nothing else getting in the way of the unprecedented expansion. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. And I, I think that we're starting to see the start of that is a push to get the staff members up the bridge and onto their OT levels so that they are better equipped to, uh, you know, deliver the bridge and, and expand their orgs. What do you think? I think that that's a distinct possibility. I think that I would like some more data points because London Org is noteworthy to me because you you know you've come from it and you and you are you know hyper aware of of the staff and the situation there and stuff. But one of the things that has been interesting in talking with you about London Org has been what a maverick org that place is. <laughs> right? How they do things a bit different in London from other places. Yeah. In other words, they started their own social media accounts. <laughs> On their own, right? They started doing YouTube videos on their own. And we were watching this years ago when this started with, uh, with, with, with what, Tim Wakely or uh, was that? His, was, <laughs> Charlie Wackley. Charlie yeah. Wackley. Charlie Wackley. Yeah. We, we see this and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way that this is being done without OSA's okay. Maybe they're, maybe they're turning an, over a new leaf in terms of social media or a YouTube presence or something like that beyond the Scientology.org, Scientology official channel. Well, no, turns out, you, you, as you clarified, no, no, they just did it. They just went off and started doing it. They didn't ask for permission. They figured, and, and you tell me, was the attitude, we'll get permission after the fact, or it's easier to say I'm sorry than it is to get a permission first yeah, or something? It's better to ask for forgiveness and permission, yeah. so let's just do it. So that's we did. Right. <laughs> and you did. And, and, and that's, it kind of worked. That's pretty maverick, right? And it did. Yeah. You got more attention. You got more book sales. You got more things going. Duh. You're applying the tools of modern marketing to you know the product, and surprise, it works. So... You know, really not much of a, it's kind of a no brainer. And we all wondered, well, where's the YouTube channels from all the other orgs, right? There's Scientology dad and there's London org, right? And then, and then Wakely, Wackley got promoted and stopped doing it because it was his thing. And so we see, you know, these, these sort of event videos uh like were posted by london org are you going to the event are you going to the event you know the IAS thing but those are just you know those are just internal facing promotional pieces or, or marketing pieces they're not really like public facing let's bring new public in kind of thing they're still woefully inadequate in that regard they produce you know these amazing uh videos that nobody watches on scientology's channel because nobody goes there because everybody knows that scientology is very toxic um, so they're not doing any content or anything to overcome that. Individual members will show initiative and do that, which I find fascinating. Um, and that's what. And so in my mind, London has stood out for me as this kind of maverick kind of thing, right? I just realized I'm using Tom Cruise's call sign <laughs> from Top Gun, right? Uh, but it's you know, but that's the whole that's that's the definition of the word is somebody who's out there you know, not paying attention to the rules and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I have, I, so I, I only bring this up because if London staff are going OT, maybe that's representative of the total, or maybe it's another outlier. That's why I'd like to get more information. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. So I've known about this for a couple of years, and that was my thinking of like, oh, maybe London have just had you know some particular success with the chase wave, or they've had some lucky person come in, you know, and give them lots of money, and then funded them, or maybe the universe core came, or whatever, and they've just had a bigger push to go OT. But um, I've seen more and more evidence that it's not just London. You know, I've got, mm. um, I've seen posts from this Facebook group, which is just for Scientologists it's um you know internal only and there's lots of people posting pictures of their wins and their success stories and all this sort of stuff they have no idea that i'm on it um and uh really i shouldn't be on it which is quite funny to think that they let me in uh but anyway i can see lots of these posts and messages from people all over the world and in america particularly talking about this new evolution mm. and going ot and this push mm. to go ot okay good. and staff from orgs going to flag to do their ot levels and for me that's where in my head it's like there is something here that's a program of some kind that isn't being talked about because the secrecy is huge you know even with the golden age of admin golden age of tech 2 as well we all knew there was a program going on we didn't know what it was called or what it was for. You know, even when I was on staff at London Org, all of the, the TTC, the, the staff were sent to flag to train on this new evolution, this program. Didn't know what it was or why or what it was called that we were just told, send these people to flag for training. They're going to be there for a year or two or whatever. Oh, okay, so cool. And then they came back and they were like, wow, you wouldn't believe this is what we've been training on. This is what we've learned. And it was Golden Age of Tech 2 you know a week or two later is when the event happened it's the same with the golden age of admin it's like right all the executives need to go and train on this new program okay great that's all that they're gonna that's all that they know and that's all the information that would have been handed back to the orgs until the release at the new year's event when it was finally called the golden age of admin and i'm starting to see the same thing on these facebook groups and in these comments that is exactly the same as i saw with golden age of tech 2 when i was on staff that i think is alluding towards this ot thing okay. and again i don't know what it is it is just speculation based on what i've seen i could be completely wrong but the fact is people are being sent to flag to, to go and do their ot levels staff particularly and it's being pushed in a way that's not normal from my experience and i've seen the a reference to a program or an evolution be used a, a number of times and mm. for me that makes me wonder if there's something there um that's perhaps my summation is you know my guess is that it's a push to make all the staff ot because that's the again the final piece of the puzzle you've sure. got the tech you've got the admin now you've got you know you've got all of the stuff in place now you just need to be ot and then we'll have nothing in the way for stopping the expansion there's no excuses left is is kind of what i think is going on but i might be completely wrong no i, d I doubt that you're completely wrong i just I, i'm fascinated by that so thank you for those additional data points on that because it helps it helps make it make sense mm. i ha i still have questions one of them being are the staff going to flag and paying flag rates for their ot levels or are they well, being? The or are they being yeah. given it right? I know, and 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 also uh, maybe I am uniquely exposed to this in a way that others weren't, because I knew about Golden Age of Admin before I left the Sea Org, and I left the Sea Org in 2012. So I knew that this was happening, and I knew what right. it was, and what it is, by the way, uh, is they revamped 
the training of uh, and the organization of all these policies. Okay, so so Hubbard, in a nutshell, Hubbard wrote or had written, you know, other people wrote, and he put his name on it. Thousands of policy letters that that are the that are the operating instructions for Scientology organizations. That's basically in a nutshell what they are. And they cover everything from how to write a letter to a new public person, to how to sell books, to how to do treasury functions, how to keep up accounting, how to pay your bills. All of that stuff is in there in those policy letters. Some of it is very generalized. Some of it is extremely exacting. And it's really kind of random as to which is which. So in some areas, you have a hyper degree of policy, which is incredibly exacting. And in other places, it's a little loosey-goosey. And you, and you kind of have to roll it out as you, as you see fit in the moment. Um, this is how Scientology organizations are run. The way the policy letters were first initially organized and put into books was by division. They took all the policy letters relating to Division One. And they categorized them by the, by the three different departments in that division. And they put them all in um, into order from, for each of the sections, right? So every, in a, a Scientology organization has seven divisions. In each side, inside each division are three departments. And inside each department are different sections. And theoretically, you'd have an individual in charge of each section. And there would be policies telling them how to do their job. Well, they changed all this. They said, you know, this has been the organization executive course, these series of volumes. All the policies are there. But the way Miscavige described it is, he said you have to read them all, do the whole division one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You do all these volumes. And then you shake your head really hard and it all kind of falls into place. Because it's not laid out in such a way that you can actually use it. It's more of an academic exercise the way it was being studied. This was Miscavige's assertion, and he wasn't totally wrong about that. Um, I oversaw the delivery of, you know, the training of executives in Scientology as one of the things I did, you know, over the years. And, and this is absolutely a true criticism. So what they did is they changed it so that the policies were instead all put together around the products that the Scientology organizations produce. Instead of organizing it by division, they would organize it by what would they called production lines. What's the production line to sign somebody up for a service and get them started? Let's take every policy, no matter what division it applies to, let's put it all together in date order, a very exacting date order according to what you said earlier where they took everything and put it all in chrono order. And if we lay it all out in chronological order, everything L. Ron Hubbard said about signing somebody up for a service, that's your sign-up line, your production line to get that function done. And that's how we're going to organize the policy letters now. So they basically hmm. just did this big reorg of how they published this material. And, of course, in the process of that, they went through and revised a bunch of policy letters and dropped things and changed things and all that. Um, they have not, by the way, gotten rid of all of the non-L. Ron Hubbard issues. Everything's got L. Ron Hubbard's name on it now, 
But we all know that many, many, many of those issues were not written by L. Ron Hubbard. So they've always got that ability to go back and pull things out because it wasn't L. Ron Hubbard. But right now they're saying it's all L. Ron Hubbard. So that's basically the change. Do you want to talk a bit about, because what you said there actually reminded me, we talked briefly the other day about the information center and the use of the films in Div 6 and the way that that was being done. I think, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I remember basically to give people a bit of background um, in the in the church of Scientology, you have what's called a public information center, which is, you know, if you don't know what Scientology is, you just walk in and go, Hey, I want to know what Scientology is. So you'll be taken on a tour and there are these screens with videos on them. And it's kind of like, you know, this is a panel about L. Ron Hubbard. And then this is a Scientology screen. This is the Dianetics screen. And you kind of go on a tour. Um, and the idea is these videos will give you information and answer all your questions about whatever it is you have. And then ultimately you buy a book, do a personality test or whatever. And then, you know, the rest is, is kind of history. But um, we were talking about this the other day and, mm-hmm what you said about how those films should be used was different to my experience on staff at London. And again, Mm. I thought it was just a London thing, but the more I kind of look into it and speak to other people and who are in different orgs, again, I'm thinking maybe it isn't just a London thing. Maybe it's a change that's happened, but Mm. um, what was your experience? Because you were there when this whole thing happened, you know, I joined after these videos and displays came out, you know, but yeah. you were there at the beginning, right? What, how was it pitched for you when this was a new thing? We've got this new video display screens, this new information center. Wow. This is how we're going to do things now. Yeah. What, what were you told? When yeah, you were this was a, a, yeah, this was a briefing from Miscavige. Part of the pitch for this was that the division sixes, the public facing recruitment divisions and public servicing divisions would constitute a third of the square footage of the buildings. And this was itself a revelation for, you know, Scientology management and organization because often in these podunk little Scientology churches, maybe there was one dude in Div 6, right, out on the street passing out flyers or desperately trying to sell books and bring people in. So so the first point of selling was to us on this new idea of the ideal org is that Div 6s were going to be really bolstered up. We're going to put a bunch of more staff in there, a third of the staff of the org, in fact. And that was itself a big deal. That, and there were going to be public lecture rooms. There were going to be film rooms. There were going to be introductory workshop seminar rooms. So you had these multi actually these rooms were multi-purpose rooms that could be used for any of these functions. And this was going to be a big change, a big deal, a big revamp, right, of the, of the public-facing divisions is they'd have these spaces to do all these new things to bring people in and educate them or introduce them to Scientology and what it could offer them. And then there was this new audiovisual maze <laughs> entered in to... The also into those spaces where how do you communicate what Scientology is to anybody who walks in? Well, Miscavige's assertion, and it wasn't actually a bad observation, is everybody comes in with their own ideas and their own needs and wants. And so let's give them everything. 
Now that's probably not a good idea. That's that's the solution. That's the part of the solution there where he where he kind of blew it. But what he said was, let's show them everything. Let's impress them with how much we do, and they can find on their own through navigating this maze of audiovisual displays that we will put up in every one of our ideal orgs. People can go in and gravitate towards the thing that they're most interested in. Is it the illiteracy programs, the social you know, front groups? Is it the way to happiness? Is it Dianetics? Is it spiritualism and Scientology? Is it, what is it? Is it study tech, right? With all these different things. And this, and the idea was that they would gravitate toward the video the video would introduce them and teach them all that they needed to know about it and generate the interest in them to go, oh, this is what I want. And then they would go simply sign up for it. And this was supposed to magically happen. And that's where he made his biggest miscalculation because that never really happens or it happens so infrequently that it's not even worth commenting on. This was a major change in how Scientology is introduced to people. And from that point forward, once that was implemented, the I, 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 I'm guessing here, because I can't say for, you know, I've seen all the graphs, but it certainly seemed, in my experience, going around to the different churches that we were turning into ideal orgs, that this was not only not working, it was actually even repelling people. People would walk in, do this thing, and walk right back out. And the staff were instructed to let them, to not get in their way, not go talk to them, not go interfere with them. At least that's what I remember in the early 2000s was let the audiovisual do the sales. Let you know You don't have to go get in their face or do all this stuff. No, you do. That's what cult recruitment's all about. And so they, they changed all that. And uh, as a result, um, in addition to at around you know, that same time period, early to mid-2000s, is when Anonymous happened and, you know, and the toxic rebrand of Scientology sort of happened uh, in, the, you know, in the big, broad world. So these two things came together in a way, right, perfect timing, to really just kind of eliminate any um because he was trying to i guess what i would say is he was trying to robotize the 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 intro lines of scientology he was trying to he was trying to mechanize them and my explanation for it you know after i got out of scientology was well miscavige hates people so it must be that he just doesn't trust you know, because we know he doesn't trust all the people in his inner circle. He threw them in the hole and all that stuff. He hates these people. Well, I don't think he really likes the staff, period. <laughs> you know? And so get those, public, get those staff away from the public. They constantly mess it up. The staff are the reason the public aren't coming in and signing up. So let's get them out of the way with these audiovisual displays. And it just made things worse because it's not true. That's not, that's not the reason why people weren't signing up more. Yeah, I think I've heard from Mitch Brisker and Mark Headley and, you know, other kind of executives who were around Miscavige at the time, and they all said a similar thing. Yeah. Miscavige didn't trust the staff to do a good enough job yep. um, of selling Scientology. So the idea is use the displays and they will do the selling 
for them and you know it all comes from this miscarriage control and lack of trust thing yep. um and i completely get get that and i'm i'm not in any way denying that that happened but it's just completely not my experience of what it was yeah, like when i was on staff at london mm-hmm. and i've come to the conclusion that it's not just london what i think has happened is that's how it was rolled out it was then very clear that, that wasn't working and therefore it was changed ah. and then when i came on staff the videos were used in a different way yeah. and i actually think it was successful because it was successful in for me when i was on staff but i was trained i was told to when you're taking people on these tours and you've got to bear in mind london org there's two buildings so there's one the main center on 146 queen victoria street which has a whole huge information center it's large it's got a panel on everything and then you have tottenham court road which is the smaller building uh, where the information center is smaller there's like one two three four five six there's six panels off the top of my head rather than all of them ah okay The way you would use them is different. But ultimately, I was told that if someone just walks in to the org and they're like, hey, can I get a tour? Or, you know, what's Scientology all about? You know, they would sit at reception. I would get a call uh, from the receptionist. Hey, someone's here for a tour. You know, okay, great. I drop what I'm doing. I go down to reception, meet them up and talk to them as I walk them up to the public information center. And, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm Alex. What are you doing here? You know, what what are you interested in finding out? You know, small talk, fascinating. Okay. Then I take them over to the uh, Scientology board. So there's like, like we said earlier, there's different like sections. Uh, and there was a Dianetics one next to the, the Scientology one. And I would always sit them down at the Scientology screen. And I'd play them. I would say, look, this is the, a good first place to start because there's so much information out there. This short one or two minute video will kind of give you a good introduction as to what Scientology is. Sit them down, press play. And essentially, it's just one of the like, what is Scientology advert commercials that you can get on their YouTube channel that kind of just talks a bit waffly about what Scientology kind of is, but without actually answering the question, because Scientology can never actually answer the question of what Scientology actually is. Um, So, you know, that you leave them to it and you let them watch it and you kind of stand back and, you know, I'd go and make a cup of tea or something or, you know, be on my phone or whatever. I'm kind of not there, but I'm there in the background. And kind of see how they react to it um, and it, it, take it from there, like to kind of use your intuition. If they get up and instantly start looking at another board and they're just walking, you know, let them walk around. But if they're kind of sat there and they're like, oh, OK, and they're kind of looking for you, then I go over and I talk to them, go, hey, you know, what what do you think? How, you know, do you have any questions? And use that opportunity to essentially reg them, right? It's mm-hmm. then... I've got to find their ruin, right? I want to sell them a book, get them onto a personality test or onto an introductory service. And so they've watched the film, great, but I still need to do that work to find out what's ruining their life in order to sell the thing. So what it would be is it would kind of be trying to figure out how long they've got. If they're just popping in to watch something and then they've got to go, then it would be very much, okay, great. Well, let me just give you a whistle-stop tour I'll walk you around the information center and explain what each panel is um, as we walk around. And then thank you very much. See you later. But if, if you get the sense that they're not in a rush, then it's okay, great. You take your time. So you walk through and you go, this is the Dianetics session, like panel. That's what Dianetics is. <laughs> this is L. Ron Hubbard. This is who he is. And if they sort of, 
you know, show some signs of slight interest or something in one of the topics, even if, you know, truth about drugs or whatever, you go, okay, great. Well, let's do that. So, so you kind of sense from them that they're interested and then you sit them down and press play on that particular video. And you do that all the way through the information center. But ultimately, you know, you're trying to find out what's ruining their life because you're the one that's selling them the book or getting them to do the personality test or getting them to do the introductory service. So, yes, the videos and the panels were used, but I was still the reg. I was still the the Div 6 person that was responsible for recruiting them. Um, And one of the number one things that we would say is, well, if you want to know what Scientology is, the best way is to find out for yourself. So why don't you do a course or why don't you buy the book? Because then you'll find out for yourself what it really is, because that's all Scientology is, is reading books, doing courses. And that's it. So why don't you just do it? You know, it's 30 quid for an introductory service. Right. You know, right. You want to pay it by cash or card? (laughs) Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's right. That, that's the sentiment. We were the salesperson. So we used the videos as a tool, but the videos themselves didn't sell anything because it, they're just adverts at the end of the day. It, it didn't find anyone's ruin or make anyone think, wow, this is what I need. It's right. just, you know, commercial fluff. Well, the, but the that is different to how you were saying they were rolled out in the first place. It, it very much is. Uh, no question about it. Change has definitely happened, and I, and I get it. And that makes sense to me that they would, uh, you know, that that change would need to happen because Muscat is crystal clear. I, I don't have any question about my memory of this. This was this was so. I watched the video where Miscavige laid all this out. It was this three-hour briefing to the OT uh, folks on the ship back in like 2002, I think, is when this briefing happened. And it was a full breakdown of this whole ideal org strategy and the layout and the blueprints and how it was going to work and how it was going to look and how the orgs need to be these islands of sanity. You know, they need to be flagged for their area as how he described it. And so we really need to bolster the orgs. That was what this was all about. And this was all post uh, 9-11 and a lot of activity with the front groups and let's get them going and let's really make these orgs into something special. And that was what the whole ideal org thing was about. But he was crystal clear about the fact that it was going to be the videos that were going to sell Scientology, not the staff and their ideas about Scientology. He wanted that out of the way. Well, that's not how Scientology has ever sold itself or has ever worked. If you go back to the 1970s, and Miscavige was just a child back then, and he wasn't paying attention to Div 6. Um, but back then, it was in-your-face recruitment, right? You walked into a Scientology mission or church, and you were going to have an experience. They were not they, they were not easily going to let you go. You walked in there, they were going to—it was KSW, right? It was keeping Scientology working. It was, we're going to turn that— you know, we're going to turn that wandering doubt into a fixed, dedicated glare. That's how they thought about things back then uh, when it came to bringing people in because you had this one shot. Here's the guy. Here's his shot at salvation. You going to let him walk out? Hell no, right? This is hard sell, baby. Let's go, right? You care about that person. You you get them through whatever the stops and barriers are to them not signing up for the service. You're going to get them signed up come hell or high water, right? And it was that kind of attitude. It was a very firebrand kind of attitude about public recruitment. And that was what created the fervor and the intensity and the, and the, and the numbers, the big numbers 
of new Scientology recruits back in the 70s. And that was off of college campuses as well as off street recruitment. And as always, through the friends and family line, because it's always been true that most Scientologists come in through friends and family, not off the street. So, but if they did come in off the street, we weren't going to let them just walk right back out. <laughs> it was, oh no. That's you know? interesting. And yeah. That sentiment definitely stuck with, and that was still the case when I was on staff, but only at a certain point, right? right. If someone just walked in, did a public information center tour and whatever, and they left, cool, whatever. But if someone is doing an OCA, like a personality test, or if they are, you know, they've been there for an hour, and mm-hmm. they're talking to you and they they are genuinely interested. That's when it's full hardcore reg, just as you yeah. say, you're not letting them leave until they start their life improvement course. Yeah. This is your chance. You know, do you really want to, you know, take a gamble on this huge life problem, whatever it is that you just told me about yeah. when I'm saying that there's a potential solution here for just $50 or whatever, like that's the sentiment of, of the salesmanship that is used. But for people who just walk in off the street and have been there for five minutes, it's very much not like that. And I think there is an element of things being different in London as well, because in London, we were very aware of this crazy American cult reputation that Scientology has. And I think we as polite British people, you know, it's not it's not like that. It might be like that there, but it's, you know, certainly not like that. here. You know, we were all too aware of it. And I think we, we perhaps made some concessions and actually tried to go a little bit overboard with the you know trying so hard not to be imposing Mm. ourselves or over the top or intense stares and all of this stuff we tried really hard not to do that because we wanted to use that as a point to prove we're not what you think we are um in london and I think that that did work to some extent, but the, the the downside is that, yeah, some people walked in and did a tour and they left. And, you know, I only said three or four words to them. Right. But one of the things I would always say to those people is, see, it's, it's not what you think. You know, most people think you're going to walk in here and we're going to try and sell you something and we're going to, you know, try and recruit you. No, look, you know. I want to prove to you that that's not the case. So enjoy yourselves. Let me know if you need anything. And I would just kind of stand there in the corner and be available if you need me. And sometimes people would just go around and leave. And But most of the time, people would go around, do their little tour, and then they'd come up to me and be like, hey, so I've got a question. And it's like, see, wow, instantly they're not standoffish and it changes that perception. That's the sort of thing I think we did differently in London than the rest of the world. But in terms of the way we use the public information center and those displays was definitely a a thing that happens in in many orgs. That's the way we were told to use the information center right. um, was play them the video and then come in as a reg and sell them whatever. Um, right. well, so I think changed. that that's changed. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it definitely did. And it sounds to me like Miscavige was asserting you know, that he knew what was going to happen and how this was all going to go down and the videos were going to sell everybody. It was going to be this beautiful thing. And then 10 years later, well, that hasn't happened. And in fact, just the opposite has happened and the stats are crashing and things are not going well. And so let's, you know, and so people 
revert back to the things that they know they need to do in order to get new people signed up, right? Which is dealing with each person who walks in as an individual, uh, not just putting them in front of some generic video for two minutes and thinking that's going to find their ruin or that's going to sell them on Scientology. It doesn't work that way. You have to deal with the individual and you have to sit them down and you have to, as you say, find their ruin. And there's the four-step process in Scientology to do that. It's a well-developed four-step process and it actually does work if you do it right. And in other words, if you do it effectively. Um, But if somebody walks in there with their critical thinking skills on alert, those four steps aren't going to (laughs) work. So it doesn't, it's not 100% effective, right? But if it's going to work, those those four steps are the best way to do it, right? Your contact, handle, salvage, and bring to understanding steps. And anybody who's, you know, ex-Scientologist knows what I'm talking about is these, it's called the dissemination drill. It's these steps that Hubbard developed or somebody developed in Scientology to get people signed up for services. And it entails what you were just talking about, right? You contact the person, you deal with any bullshit they've heard about Scientology, and you then educate them on Scientology or you talk to them about what, you know, they think... Uh, you need they need to hear about Scientology and then you find their ruin. You find out the thing that is that is very and you go you go for that right as quickly as possible. As quickly as you can. You want to get this person introverted and thinking about themselves, not thinking about the church and its shady ways. <laughs> yeah. And that's and I that's what that's, that's all true. about, right? Like if you use that example that I gave of how we used a display center, like that's exactly what we did. You know, I'd bring them in. Hey, what are you interested in? Oh, I don't know. I just want to know what Scientology is. Okay, here, sit down, watch this two minute video that tells you what Scientology is. And then instantly the conversation is okay. So like what, you know, what interests you or like, Mm -hmm. what is it? Like it's not, I didn't stand there and explain everything or take them on a whole tour of the whole building. It's very much cool. Here's a video to satisfy your question that, you know, what Scientology is, but really what pulled you into this building? Like, why are you here? What do you want to handle in your life? It very quickly becomes that, that reg pattern and if someone is there with with a, a friend or a partner or something you know i'd be calling charlie wackley who would come down and take the other person separate them so you've got one on them. one time that's right yeah that's right exactly to, so that you can then sell them the the course or the book or do the oca and and it is very much like as quickly as possible get them to be in effect right, right. and get them we used to say crying is buying because ah. if you are crying, <laughs> you're bu- you're bloody buying the book because you've got I've managed to get you into effect. You know, I managed to get you to realize how bad a problem this really is in yeah. your life that you need to handle it right now. Well, then it's very easy for me to sell you Dianetics as the answer or the solution to that problem. It's right. a horrible thing to do to a person. But at the time, you think you're helping them. You think that that's what they need to salvage their life. And you're like this is great. I've got them to cry. That means I've impinged. That means they get how important this is. And that means they're going to become a Scientologist, which means I've helped them. That's, that's right. how you think. You that's know? right. That, that's exactly right. And the policy from Hubbard on it was crystal clear. Don't explain Scientology. Penetrate. Right. You have to impinge on this person because uh, Scientology assumes, and this is just a little bit more or more uh, color for y'all out there (laughs) on Scientology is because Hubbard's assumptions about people out in the big wide world, you, me, and thee, and everybody around that you see, are walking around in a semi-hypnotic daze all the time. You're really bad off, right? You're, you're, You're so screwed up. You have no idea how screwed up you actually are. 
uh, spiritually and physically. And so you walk into a Scientology church, and Hubbard's not interested in, in explaining Scientology to you. He wants you signed up for service and your butt in a chair in the classroom or picking up the cans in an auditing session as quickly as possible. That's what has to happen. And so you're not treated really as a sentient individual. (laughs) You're treated as somebody who's overwhelmed by this reactive mind and you're in the semi-hypnotic days and we really need to command you this was another thrust of the policies is you command people. You tell them what to do. You don't ask them what to do. You don't ask them what they would like. Sure, you might use phrases that, 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 are, that end in question marks, but that's not a successful way to get people signed up for services. You tell them what to do. You command them what to do, and you hard sell them on it. And that was how Scientology did legit grow in the 1970s and and 80s is through that attitude yeah i think my only where where my head is at in this whole thing is that you know the orgs are empty Mm -hmm. all right around the world Mm -hmm. they have been for years london is an example 62 percent decrease in book sales over nine years that means there are less people there than there were when i was there that means less people are buying books less people are on course it's shrinking it very evidently is and for a scientologist there's going to be an element of kind of thinking oh it's not it's not the whole of scientology it's just my org we must be doing things wrong here and all the other orgs must be booming but as a whole you know it's going to be really hard to like even if for the people who are on staff at london now a lot of them were on staff 10 years ago so they would have physically seen with their own two eyes you know, how the the number of people on staff has shrunk and how the number of people on course has shrunk. They, there's no denying that there are less people in their org now than there were back then. So there's an element of like, you know, what are we doing? Like what what's next? What is getting in our way? And I think David Miscavige has played it so well in the, you know, well, it's because the tech wasn't right or the, mm. you know, the books, the basics weren't right. And so he's done these golden ages and now he's got the golden age of admin. It's like, well, now all of the orgs are going to be run as per policy, exactly how it's they're meant to be run. The last thing I think is this golden age of OT is what Tony Ortega called it, you know, is if all of the staff are OT, then there's nothing really in the way for us to grow and expand. And I just feel like there's a sentiment of, you know, them having this mindset of if you do it right, we'll sell it. And, you know, if people are here, we'll be able to sell Scientology like we were just talking about that whole process. But people aren't walking in through the doors. So I just think that the mindset of someone on staff, uh, you know, in an org is probably like, well, we've, we're focusing on getting it right internally. And now that that's done, we've got all of the jigsaw puzzles in piece. Like it's complete. The stage is set now for us to start really expanding. And we've never, we haven't had that chance yet for the last how many years. You know, it's ridiculous. But that's what I, I think is the mindset. That's what I would be thinking if I was on staff now. Is like, wow, finally, we're ready to start expanding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, now we're going to get people through the doors. And then I, we can start selling Scientology. Do you I, know what I mean? I totally get what you mean. <laughs> and I, and you know, Having been on staff for as long as I was and then Sea Org on top of that, I mean, I just can't tell you the number of times that I had those exact 
that that exact litany went through my head. Yeah. What you just said, right? Now we're ready. Now we're ready. It was every release, everything that was promised or every release that came out had that promise attached to it. Every one of them, all the way back to, you know, when I first got involved in Scientology, which was 1985, when I really went into a church and really started doing services on my own bat. Prior to that, I'd, I'd been around and done stuff, but I wasn't really cognizant of, 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 war, of the world around me the way that I was once I got older. And, and then I joined staff, and then I was really hyper aware of what things were like in the org. And it was all about, see, I think that these recurring releases, revisions, and programs that Miscavige comes up with are efforts to keep the staff and public interested and giving them a reason to stick around. And I think that this constant every few years, there's a new program coming out. There's a new thing. And, and I think that one of the major reasons why Miscavige operates Scientology this way is because he's hampered by the fact that L. Ron Hubbard, again, was crystal clear, and it's culturally all throughout Scientology, that all of Scientology's problems are internally created. There's never, you can never blame the government, culture, the media, the, the toxic imaging, the bad branding. You can never, ever in Scientology, especially as an executive in Scientology, you'll never get away with blaming any external problem or issue. Something to note as well is that, you know, look at London Org, look at Paris, which is about to open, you know, January this year, you know, in a matter of weeks, if it mm -hmm. hasn't already happened by now, yep. when this releases, you know, we don't have, as as the time recording, we don't know the date that it's going to open, but it's meant to be January. So it could have happened by the time this comes out, sure. or it could be next week or whatever. But Paris is opening, London, you know, is huge and young and like there's that whole sentiment of it being hip and cool and, you know, amazing and drawing people in. And we're starting to see this in other orgs as well. But the people who have been watching this golden age of admin thing, golden age of tech too, they're second, they're third. In some cases, we're starting to see the first sort of fourth generation Scientologists start to come into the fray. They're people who weren't alive when the golden age of tech one came out, I they weren't know. alive when I David know. Miscavige took over. Right. Yeah. But if you look at me, for example, right. I, when I came into Scientology, it was 2010, 2011. Right. So I was there for golden age of tech too, but that was the first big Scientology event that had happened in my lifetime. You know, I was alive for golden age of knowledge, but golden age of tech happened. The original one when I was one year old and I wasn't a Scientologist. So, for me, Golden Age of Tech 2 was like, wow, this is amazing. It's new. It's exciting. That's so right. the people running the orgs, even the the people who are the same age of me as me that have been brought up in Scientology and were alive for more uh, events than I was. But, you know, it's still quite new and exciting. Like they don't have this long history of, you know, being That's tired right. and kind of you know 40 years of this stuff because you know it's new they're young and i think we're seeing a real shift in focus you know if you look at 
Dave Miscavige has managed to sort out the the money side of things, you know, through donations to the Ideal Org program and, you know, Grant Cardone and all of these big whales who are donating hundreds of millions of dollars. The revenue stuff is kind of sorted. Mm. He's not making his money from selling introductory courses. That's right. not a big money maker. The money maker is the Ideal Org program. Yep. So in a way, that sort of stuff is kind of like, cool. How do we keep the core people who are Scientologists to stay in rather than attracting new people? Because these are people who have been brought up in it, who are the most dedicated of the most dedicated of followers, right? So this is the core. What is left of Scientology is the core, most hardcore Scientologist. So it's going to be very hard for them to break away. So, So Dave Miscavige is very much trying to just keep them entertained and keep them you know, on a roll so that they they keep that they're happy and they're okay and they keep donating their money. And so these golden ages have been a very good way of doing that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, yes, there's going to be a push. There always is a push to bring new people into Scientology. But, you know, the focus has very much been on how do we keep them in? You know, how do we keep them happy and keep them donating? And I think that this golden age of admin, then OT stuff, I think that paves the way for Dave Miscavige basically saying, look, I've done all of the work here to get it back to what Elron Hubbard wants it to be. I've made you guys all OT who are running the orgs and who are on staff. It's over to you now to really pave the way for expansion. Like all of the orgs are ideal. All of the staff are OT over to you. I'm out because he's 80 at this point and dead or whatever. (laughs) Like I think that might be, this might be the start of his exit plan. Again, I'm just speculating, but I can see that that's the narrative. Perhaps he's, he's starting to play of like, you know, get the ideal all program finished, get all the staff OT. Cool. Well now if we're not expanding, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not ours right yeah Perhaps. well i think uh, yeah okay i mean i get what you're saying i'm not sure i'm not sure I'm not sure what to Complete say to that. speculation i, I mean know. it is I'm it's just... pure speculation and and, and and it's not necessarily like unfounded speculation i don't radically disagree with you but um i have a hard time with the concept of miscavige formulating an exit strategy to be honest because i don't think his i don't think he thinks that way um Again, I could be wrong. I mean, it's just my opinion. We're just sharing opinions here. Um, I think he, if if Mitch is to be believed, and I think he is about Miscavige's true believer status, right? That he is actually a true believer in this stuff. I I asserted for many years before Mitch came along that Miscavige was not interested in expanding Scientology, and in fact, I started wondering whether he even had you know gotten past his Scientology beliefs and no longer did believe in it because he acted like somebody who is not a Scientologist leading Scientology he doesn't he did not for example for many 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 years did not push for staff to go OT or go up the bridge and in fact I'm fascinated by this push right now because the L. Ron Hubbard solution for staff to go up the bridge is ideal or St. Hill size orgs and the Universe Corps. And this was attempted, you know, long before you were around, 
back in the 90s, they, they had tried many different ways to, to train up and send out universe core teams. And they never lasted for longer than a few months or maybe a year at, their, at the, the org they were sent to, whether it was Orange County or I think, Venice, I think some Mexico City or some, some, some org in Mexico got a universe core team. Orange County got a universe core team. I think there were two or three others who I think Stevens Creek maybe at one point got one. And they all were there and then they were gone, right? The staff start moving up to OT and then the Sea Org rips them off because they need them for something else. And the Universe Core never really could become a viable thing. And, 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 and I'm sorry if I didn't explain first. The Universe Core was a group of Sea Org members trained specifically to go to an org and deliver the OT levels to the staff only. They were not a public servicing thing. They just went and set up shop at the org, and they were trained OTs, and they were gonna. Then their whole job was to get the staff up the bridge and get them to OT. And this this universally flopped everywhere it was tried. Right, they just couldn't keep it together or keep it organized. And now they're not even talking about the universe core from what you're describing. They're just pushing staff to go to flag, which makes me wonder, are they making the staff pay for it? And if so, how are they doing that? Or if they're giving them their OT levels, really? Really? At flag? Or St. Hill. That's you know, mind-boggling to me, right? Or, or St. Hill, right, for London staff. You know, I don't know whether it's, yeah. yeah, I don't know whether it's just flat, but, you know, like Paris, for example, all of the staff there for the, their, their new ideal org that's opening, they're all training at St. Hill. And mm-hmm. a number of them have, again, gone up the OT levels in a very short period of time ahead of the, the opening of the org. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the London staff have all gone to St. Hill to do the OT levels. And then they've gone to flag to do the golden age of admin OCF EBC stuff. Like, it, but again, it's very expensive. And yes, you get everything for half price at another org if you're a staff member. I mean, so, we're yes, sort. I mean, that believe that's not always been true. Well, when what it, I was told when I was on staff was yeah. if I do my OT levels, if I want to go to St Hill, like I will get servicing at St Hill for half price because I'm a staff member at London Org. Right. That's that's still expensive. Like the OT oh, levels no, are still is. hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's right. Yeah, where's the money coming from, and are they paying for it? You know, I wonder if maybe there's just something where it's like, well, okay, the org will pay for it. So there's a credit note, and London Org are being billed by St Hill, right. and then they're just paying it back a little bit by little bit, and so. Right. London Org owns St. Hill hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. And and if so, by the way, that would be wildly off policy because Hubbard wrote a specific policy letter that says orgs cannot pay for the auditing of their staff members at higher orgs, by the way. Well, that's definitely been breached for years anyway, because if you look at the uh, if you look at the accounts that you can see online for free as a matter of public record, you know, the UK Church of Scientology owes flag a hundred million dollars for staff training and auditing and processing. Like that is on their accounts. You can see that. And that number goes up over and over it like every single Oh, for sure. And I think most of that's probably supposed to be the training though, not the auditing. I'm well, just saying there is that, training and orders included in that. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I'd love to see what we have here is, is a lot of, of conjecture and, and absolutely, I'm not refuting what you're saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that, that this, that these ideas that we have about what Scientology does or doesn't do or is willing to do or not do, 
we're we're on a little shaky ground because we don't have enough info to know for sure how this is breaking down or what they're making the staff do right now to get their OT levels. In the 1990s, the LA area organizations, the, the churches, were all supposed to send their staff to AOLA to do their OT levels, just like you're describing with St. Hill. And that flopped like you would not believe because AOLA was being told to deliver free or half-rate services to public, you know, to staff members, but the paying public were their priority, not the staff. And the auditors they had were booked up with paying public, and they were hardcore being pressured to keep those OT auditors auditing public, not half-rate or free staff. So there was a friction and a conflict internally created just on that point. Now, I saw that, watched that happen in the 90s. I'm not saying that that's, that that's the case now. I don't know what the case is now. I'm curious about what the case is, though, and I, I think we need to get more info to clarify this to understand, is yeah. this a London thing? Is this an international push? If it is an international push, what is the new policy from Miscavige on, on how to roll this out for the staff? Because OT levels are expensive. They are the big ticket items for Scientology. I mean, this you is know? the thing. If, if you look at the the facts, right? And so, yeah, we don't know <clears throat> how it's working in terms of how it's being rolled out and the money and all of this, like that. that's the stuff we don't know. Yeah. But what we do know is a bunch of London staff, and I mean a bunch of them, we're talking like 20 or 30 people yeah. have gone from introductory levels to OT in a very short period of time. Yep. If you look at, this is another fact, again, in these Facebook groups, you can see mention of this OT program that's going on right now at flag there's yeah. mention of all of these staff members from different orgs going to flag to do their ot levels that's a fact right. we know that this is happening right? right if you look at the paris staff who are currently training at saint hill before going over to open the new ideal org not only are they training uh, for their you know hatting and their staff training they're also doing their ot levels a bunch of them have gone up to ot level before moving over to paris like this is this is the stuff that we know okay there is a clear push for yep. staff to go ot Interesting. why that is and how it's being rolled out we don't know and right. that's what i'd be fascinated to find out is is this the start of the next golden age program that in 10 years time when the hype around the golden age of admin has died down and everyone's bored and tired and they're like, what's the next big thing? Is that this? Is this what we're starting to see as the beginning of that? Because like you say, the golden age of admin stuff started when you were on staff 2012. Yeah. You know, that was that was before I was I was on staff when I when golden age of knowledge, uh, sorry, golden age of tech phase two came out 2013, 2014. We didn't hear the words golden age of admin. We knew that there was the start of this program going on. Obviously, you were higher up, so you probably did hear that word. But for us in a class five org, we knew that there was an evolution, didn't have a name. So I wonder if this is the same thing as like, cool, now the golden age of admin's out of the way. This is the start of the program that in 10 years time will be released. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know, but I'd be fascinated to find out. But uh, there is absolutely. definitely a push. To go OT. Well, it would be interesting to me if Miscavige came out with something like the Universe Core with Squirrel. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And we just have to send everybody to Flag, and they'll just get their OT levels at Flag or at the or at the St. Hills or whatever, right? Um, logistics nightmare, by the way. I'm not kidding about that. I mean, trying to get the staff audited by the public-facing auditors. If you just think about that for a minute, you'll understand why that's such a conflict because you've only got so many auditors who are trained to make OTs. And I'm talking about tens of people on the world, uh, on this planet. We're not talking about hundreds or thousands of people who are capable of making OTs. There's not that many of them. And the ones that they have, they are desperate to keep fully paying public in front of because that's that's Scientology's bread and butter is the OT levels and the advanced level services at flag like superpower and the the cause resurgence rundown and the the big ticket items the lower level classes the extension courses the book classes even the auditor training classes are pittance compared to the money that is made through the OT levels and through the higher level services. So it's a viability point for Scientology and for each individual advanced organization, that's where their individual priorities lie, is not on delivering to the staff, but on delivering to the public. That's what they get killed over. If they're not making money, hand over fist. If they're not making OTs, hand over fist, public OTs, paying OTs, then they're not doing their job. Right, they're off purpose. They're not there to be a staff processing unit. Now, but maybe this it's is because all just there aren't enough people there. There aren't enough. Well, I'm wondering these courses. I'm, what else are they going to do? What else I'm do wondering. Start? That's right. Now, having said all that, <laughs> this was the problem in the '90s. Now, Scientology was bigger in the '90s. Now, I'm wondering, with all the shrinkage, whether these OT auditors are sitting around twiddling their thumbs, and if they are. Getting staff in front of them makes sense. And if you can get them to pay half rate, that makes even more sense because then they're paid public and at least there are statistics being generated for the advanced org and for its auditors by that whole process. And if Miscavige has sort of, you know, cut the Gordian knot on that, so to speak... That, you know, all that noise that was going on in the 90s about the push-pull of we don't want to audit the staff because we're auditing the public. If he cut through that with some program that says, no, your staff are the priority or no, you're going to get the staff serviced, that's kind of the thing it would take. And we would, and and I'm sure you or I or others will hear more about this now that we're sitting here talking about it like this uh, and paying some attention to it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. The the interesting thing is that they might think OT staff members are going to make things better for them, but it's only going to get worse. It's just kicking the can down the road again, right? Yes. And this is the thing where David Miscavige is shooting himself in the foot without even realizing it. That's you know, right. With this whole golden age thing, like I said earlier, he's he's made it very difficult to come up with the next evolution because he can't now go back and say, oh, I know a few years ago I told you that, uh, you know, we laid all the documents out and meticulously went through them word by word and fixed all the problems. Well, actually, uh, I was wrong. And, you know, we we doing that again. Like, it's, it's, it's a harder sell now that he said that he's done that. So shooting himself in the foot in terms of what's the next big thing, um, but also shooting himself in the, in the foot in that, you know, what's he going to do? Like, how there is no next step The the pressure is on for him to really expand now. And when he said, 
cool. This is everything in place now. There is nothing stopping us. This is pure LRH. When Scientology now doesn't expand, he's going to have to have a really good excuse. And I don't think, you know, once all the orgs are ideal and all of the staff are OT, and like once all of those things, are, those boxes are checked, they're, they're, what's the excuse he's going to come up with? Because in a Scientology, from a Scientology perspective, you know, what is the excuse when all your staff are OT? It's pure LRH being applied 100% correctly 100% of the time. When it doesn't work, well, there's, there is no Scientology reason for it to not work. <laughs> well, I, I, I hear you, except I just think to myself, well, yeah, but it, look at how Scientologists have acted over the last 20, 30 years, right? Is they just, yeah. they just give this guy a pass over and over and over again, regardless of how illogical it is. Because you're not wrong. You're absolutely nailing it. But history shows us that Scientologists will put up with just about anything out of Miscavige's mouth. And he'll, he is perfectly capable of finding another method of scapegoating other than transcriptionists and typists and, and impurities in the tech. There are other ways and avenues of, of organizational uh, uh, dysfunction or, or issues or problems that he can, that he can scapegoat or he can come up with. Right. Um, there are also external factors with SPs and stuff that he gets some degree of traction with. And he's got, also, let's not forget again, though, um, because um, there's a lot of tech, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't really been developed or, or pushed very hard that even he has briefed on in the past. The briefing course is one of those things. There is going to definitely be, in other words, a golden age of tech phase three. There's, there's absolutely going to be that, right? Because he's got to come out with that briefing course. He's also got um, these old uh, key to life and life orientation course services uh, to rehabilitate. And um, there is the, uh, what was it? The, not the HAS co-audit, but there was a street level co-audit. There was something he was talking about, um, which was, you know, getting like, massive numbers of people like raw public to come in and and do these you know these these co-audits these the working with each other and and they were just going to get you know tons and tons of people activated all at once you know through this whole co-audit thing now that's not going to go anywhere that's never going to work but it's but it's an idea he's already floated based on a lecture hubbard gave in the 60s about doing that so he's got lots of other little bits and pieces throughout all the lectures that have been released. And there are still, by the way, easily one or 2,000 lectures still to release. <laughs> it's 5,000 lectures in Scientology, and they have not released, you know, I think, I think they're over half released now. So he's got all of that that he's still sitting on. So, so there is still a tremendous amount of let's get it all out there, Let's, you know, Golden Age Tech Phase 3, even Phase 4 could possibly be in there, as well as who's to say there wouldn't be a Golden Age of Admin Phase 2, where they do some, you know, post-post-grad FEBC thing or, 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 right? Now we're going to make everybody, oh yes, I get it, 
after everybody's gone through all the uh, the revised policies and studied all the production lines and understands how to play the piano of the organization, as Hubbard put it, there's data series. Let's make everybody an evaluator. We're not expanding because nobody knows how to find a why. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Right? Starting at the top. Right? Starting at the top. So There's so much. Yeah. So there is still... This is the thing about Hubbard's hypergraphia, <laughs> right? We talk, I, 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 you know, I've talked about uh, the, the fact that he probably has temporal lobe epilepsy or he ha- ha- suffered from that, right? And uh, one, of the, one of the results of that is Hubbard wrote and wrote and wrote and talked and talked and talked. I mean, you think I talk a lot. This, Hubbard, I mean, he was amazing. Um, so they have yet to even catch up with you know, releasing publicly. They might have it all in a warehouse in chronological order, but they have not released all that material, not even, not even close. So, so in that sense, Miscavige is really sitting on, you know, a real golden goose with, with all of this stuff. Then, talk about a golden age of OT. There's one other thing that I, I and you tell me whether you've thought of this or not, but uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, and that is, OT 9 and 10. Because he can release anything he wants to and call it OT 9 and 10. Anytime he wants. <laughs> and no one can contradict him or say that's not L. Ron Hubbard. So there is that as far as another, you know, golden age of OT is... We're fine. If you want to see Scientologists lose their goddamn minds and just go into instant ecstasy, tell them OT9 and 10 is coming out. They lose their damn mind. They, they just shut up and take my money. They just can't, you know, they couldn't pay fast enough. So I feel like that's the kind of like nuclear weapon yeah, last minute that's right. final last ditch attempt at salvaging Scientology. Oh, like, I think that's 10 I years think, away. I think that's 10 years away. I think away. he'll yeah. so David Miscavige will only do that when shit has really hit the fan and he has nothing else left and Scientology has got down to its last thousand people worldwide and he's about to walk into prison in handcuffs (laughs) and it's all going to hell that's his like final saving grace ot9 and 10 because that's the one thing that he knows that that will get people back into scientology who maybe have been a bit disaffected or have been on the fray or the fringes or haven't done any servicing for a very long time like when that announcement comes that will be the biggest event in Scientology history. Well, not maybe completely, but the, in recent history, you know, because a lot of people are going to be like, that is huge news. Yep. And they're going to come in and give it a, a, a last shot chance, I think. And I think Miscavige knows that. I think he's probably saving that one as a very final last thing when he's got nothing else left. But until but, he doesn't have a need to release OT9 and 10, if he's still got these people that are paying money and they're keeping them happy and like, he doesn't need to do that um, right now. Like, Oh no, no, they, no, there's no, there's no necessarily need to, to do that right now, but I am curious why you think it would be a last ditch thing because releasing nine and 10 one is not even the end of the grade chart. It says it goes up to 15 and mm. two 
just like when OT8 was released. And this is all the way back in 1988. I mean, it's been that long since an OT level was released. When it was released, everybody went berserk, right? They were ecstatic. The ship was flooded with people, and it stayed that way for years. And they took credit for the wall coming down, for the you know for Russia. I mean, they took credit for everything with that, right? Who's to say they can't? I mean, talk about the cause of the affluence is still capable of causing it, right? Who's to say that he wouldn't do that again this year or next? Why would it have well, yeah, to be a last-ditch thing? You know, I don't disagree. I just don't think he has the need to, right? He's managed to sort out this world where these rich whales are donating hundreds of millions of dollars. That it, you know, he's making a good amount of money. You know, Scientology might not be expanding, but they're paying the bills. It's still a multi-billion-dollar corporation, and he's managing to keep the the core Scientologists that remain happy to some extent kicking the ball down the road with the the golden age of admin. Like there's no pressure on, I think he's going to need a lot of pressure for him to do something as big as OT9 and 10. I don't think he's going to do it just because he can or because he wants to. I think he's going to do it because he has to, you know, why didn't he do it last year or the year before? Like there's a reason it's not been released and that's because there's no, he doesn't need to. (laughs) I think he will when he needs to. Well, yeah, I, I I think you're right, but but I, I what I was challenging was when you said, well, it's the last ditch thing because I don't think that that's necessarily needs to be true at all. OT8 was not the last ditch thing, and in fact, it was very necessary. It happened shortly; it was two years after Hubbard's death, and it's been you know a, a decades since. And I think that if we're accurate right now about how we're thinking about Scientology and its existing state with the with the whales, the IAS big name donors being the ones who are now fully supporting Scientology because the info lines are so weak and so and, and even if London is excited, we know Scientology is shrinking, right? We just know that. And if that's true, then that means new blood, fresh blood, fifth generation, sixth generation Scientologists uh, are going to be the are going to be the brunt of the public. It's not going to be new people coming in. Did you notice when Tony recently published the pictures of all those IAS people who were the big donors? How much gray hair there was. That's yep. the pressure that's being brought on Miscavige, and it's only going to get worse as the years roll on because it has been decades. And those people are given that money because they believe in Scientology's mission. But decades until when when am I getting nine and ten, motherfucker? Right? I've given a hundred, I mean Trish Duggan, right? I've given three hundred million dollars to this. When do I get my spiritual eternity? motherfucker right like that conversation is going to already be happening and i think but i don't think it's quite obscene yet but that gray hair on all those people in all those pictures tells me miscavige has got a brewing problem and he's gonna have to deal with it at some point because all the golden ages and the briefing course and the training services and executive training don't matter at all to those people compared to 9 and 10. They just don't even they don't even hold a candle to 9 and 10 because that's what they're there for is for themselves. 
and they want to move up that bridge and they know that they're not fully OT as OT8s. They know they can't manifest their intention and it just happens, right? They have to, they have to hunt for coincidences in their lives to prove to themselves that they're OT. This is the cognitive dissonance of being an OT in Scientology. So that's kind of where we're at at the state of OT in Scientology at 2023, 2024 now is... It's capped, and these people are not going to wait around forever. He's managed to do what I think is probably the most genius work Miscavige has done over the years, and probably the most personal, individual work he's done over the years has been dealing with these whales one-on-one and keeping them going despite the very obvious reasons to not keep going, right? They just keep going. But we can't count on that until they die. They're not going to, you know what I mean? If he wants to keep those people happy and keep that money rolling in, he's going to have to give them something besides fourth dynamic wins and front group campaign success stories, you know? And he's managed to to, to string these folks along, for an impressively long period of time. Truly, uh, it is a sort of superpower he has. I'll grant him that, that he's managed to pull that off. Because he's an OT, it's an OT power. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I don't think I could have pulled that off. I mean, he's really, really strung these people along for a long time. Just to be clear, I was reading about the requirements and the prerequisites to get on to OT 9 and 10 in 1991. There were issues coming out to the public that you had to go to the ship and you had to get trained and you had to do this and you had to do that. And, P- and just, just on the hint of these are the prereqs for OT 9 and 10, people were flooding to the ship, right? Shut up and take my money. So, so that's the thing. That's sort of, the, that's sort of the, 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 the thing that drives the engine, I guess you could say, is that hope in that future realization of spiritual eternity and immortality. That's what Scientology is selling. And if he doesn't provide some goods on that, I think sometime in the next decade, all those gray-haired folks who have been giving and supporting Scientology and are, I agree with you, I think they are the only reason it's still around. Because it ain't the new public. Hasn't been for 20 years. And also the impending legal doom and, you know, him potentially walking away in cuffs and all of this, you know, I think it'll be a case of, oh, well, you know what? I was just about to release OT9 and 10 and, you know, now I'm in jail. So, ah. you know, if you if you could just donate $100 million for my bail, <laughs> then I'll come out and I'll, I'll release OT9 and 10, you know? <laughs> right, right. Who, who knows? It's who a knows? lot of speculation. I, I think you're you're right in a lot of what you're saying and I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. But who knows? I think it's yeah. a fascinating time for Scientology. I think... I think I don't want people to overlook the importance of this golden age of admin thing. Yep. Um, you know, it is huge. It will be huge in Scientology. Um, 
but and it's the going fact to that be, we managed it, to release the audio before the new year's event even happened is also huge you know i don't think there has ever been a time that a whole scientology event has leaked onto the internet and been widely available to the general public before scientology even had a chance to play it in their local orgs i think that's huge i think yep. the the game has changed in terms of not just scientology but the you know critical world as well and there's a lot of pressure on Scientology right now and David Miscavige and who knows how that's going to play out over the next couple of years. That's right. I, I, I completely agreed. And the one thing that, you know, the, the wonderful thing about predictions and the future and all that is we're always wrong. <laughs> we're always wrong. No matter how we think it's going to go, something, you know, comes along, some random thing happens and or a number of random things happen that none of us could have foreseen. And, you know, I mean... LRH might come back tomorrow (laughs) or Miscavige might have a heart attack tomorrow I mean there's so many ways this could go where if he's removed from the picture it's is it a whole new game or does some does a carbon copy rise you know people ask me constantly over the years you know what happens if Miscavige disappears or goes away or takes off or you know goes to a country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the US right uh, who knows? Who knows? Because the state of Scientology internally right now is so chaotic and dysfunctional as a as an organization, right? And 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 you can go back to my old videos on this, you know, in terms of laying out the structure of Scientology and how it's supposed to operate versus how it really operates. It, you know, when you have everything relying on one guy, you have a time limit. You know, um, and it, and it's not just that guy's death. It's it's that guy's overwhelm or that guy's inability to keep coming up with the lies or that guy's inability to to keep control. And somebody else comes along and stabs him in the back. There's so many possibilities here as to what could happen. I happen to think criminal prosecution is is low on the list compared to, say, you know, him just um, dying one day or because he doesn't take very good care of himself, as I understand it. Uh, or, you know, he gets cooed, just like he carried out in the 80s. Somebody does that to him. It's entirely possible that could happen. And what does Scientology look like post-coup? Do they reform and revise and tone down and, and bring, you know, and, 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 and lower the volume? Or do they double, triple, quadruple down and go even crazier? Who can say? So there's, so there's so many possibilities here. That's right. But it is certainly fun to talk about this, isn't it, Alex? (laughs) And it will also be highly entertaining to do a reaction video and a revisit to this later down the line, whether that's a year, five years, 10 years, whatever, uh, to reflect and be like, how stupid were we to think that that's how it was going to play out when it, you know, (laughs) in retrospect. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, I mean. It, it's all it's all conjecture but you know i think yeah. it's been fascinating to look at it on, and i think i'm interested to know what other people think as well based yeah. on their assessment and and i think you know the more people that come out and speak about their experiences the better because that gives us a bigger picture of what's going on inside you know like me telling you about how the information center was used yeah. in those videos is different to how people thought they were being used because that's how they were used 10 15 20 years ago so like now 
I can paint a picture of how it was for me. And even that is out of date now because I was out nine, 10 years, 2024, 10 years ago now. Right. So like things have probably changed in that time too. So as new people start to emerge that have left and are sharing their stories, we can paint a more recent picture of what's going on inside the church. And I think that will, um, you know, allow us to have better, um, you know, or more informed criticism, I suppose. So well, I interesting. Think I wanted to ask you one last thing here because we're clearly wrapping up, but there is one last thing I want to ask you about on this. And that is whether, you know, how much is the tail wagging the dog here, right? In other words, I think what we say and do matters to what Scientology does. And I think that because I've seen significant and very um, specific changes that Scientology has made over the last 10 years since I've been doing this this work. And I'm not saying I'm to, at the credit for this. I'm saying Leah and Alex Gibney and Mike Rinder and Tony are far, far, far more um, you know, in the driver's seat on this. But I think all of us and all of our voices and all of our exposure of all of this has forced Scientology to make changes. No more RPF. No more forced abortions to the degree that they used to be. They're not recruiting 11-year-olds into the Sea Org anymore that we know about. They're not taking passports automatically. There's, these, are, these are specific things we know that they've changed. And every one of them were changes that they made because we specifically criticized those things and exposed the abusive practices of them. Right now, Graham Barry makes a phone call, and he gets the senior citizens' money back who Scientology extorted that money out of out of those senior citizens, right? It's not this big, long, drawn-out thing like it used to be because they are so hyper-aware of public exposure. So I think that that, I think us even talking about this stuff, because one of the things I used to talk about all the time, I haven't talked about it in a long time since today, was the fact that the staff never went OT, I used to harp on that constantly because I would make it a point that Miscavige clearly couldn't give a shit about the staff because, and he doesn't even seem to believe in Scientology because otherwise you'd make all the staff OT because they'd now be magical beings, you know? <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I just wanted to get your, your take on that because I think maybe we have something to do with some of these changes too, I guess is what I'm sort of trying to say here. Yeah. I think, you know, my mission at the moment here in the UK is is looking at the infiltration of local government. You yeah. know, the mayor of East Grinstead has been um, in Scientology's pocket for the last year. Uh, prior to that, the last mayor and the mayor before that and so on. They're all huge Scientology supporters. You know, if you look at, you know, and I kid you not, his name is Dick Sweatman. <laughs> Um, he is the hugest Scientology supporter in the East Grinstead Town Council. So Scientology loves themselves a bit of Dick Sweatman. <laughs> uh, I I try not to laugh, you know. But I can't get over choice. that name, man. I tell you, since the day I saw it, I just I it's, go into hysterics every time I see it. It's it his is choice. So... He could call himself Richard, I but know. he chooses to call himself Dick. So Dick Sweatman. Dick Sweatman. <sighs> Dude. Dick Sweatman. Dude. Dick Sweatman loves Scientology. Yeah, loves Scientology. Uh, <laughs> but I think what I'm trying to say is that, like, you know, this that's what I'm focusing on in the UK is that infiltration and that kind of, you know, trying to gain control over the council through Dick Sweatman and yep. other people. Yep. You know, 
I'm hoping to put pressure on them to stop so they stop that activity. And that's just one example of those things that you just mentioned. You know, now they don't take passports away. Now they don't do this. Well, hopefully we can affect that change. Now they don't infiltrate government. Well, the more of these things that we can get them to change their behavior means that they'll, they've got nothing left. And then it just opens the door because they have no power. They have no control. They have no influence. It opens the door for people to go in. I just threw my... Uh, that's so excited my <laughs> tassels are going everywhere it opens the door for like you know law enforcement to go in and go hey you are abusing these people and that's not okay right which previously they've not been able to do because they've been safe pointing you know the yep. local law enforcement enforcement and paying off the police and doing this and that and people are turning the blind eye and you know there's not there's got the relig- the cloaking of the religious protection and all of that you know if we can keep hitting them where it hurts and getting them to change little bits of how they behave overall that paints a much better picture a bigger picture of like enabling us to then look at what they're really doing yep. and then not have anything to protect them um you know from from that and hopefully that means we can stop the abuse that's going on that occurs as a result of the practice of scientology but you have to start where you can and that's the the passports that's the elder abuse and the financial stuff that's the local government enforce you know uh, infiltration those little things are huge yes but they're stepping stones to the big problem at hand which is the practice of scientology being inherently harmful that's right. That's exactly right. And um, and we have, for example, right now, Leah's lawsuit, which is not only targeting Scientology for its harassment of her, but it is specifically claiming that it is the church's policies, its actual fair game doctrine that is uh, that must be ordered to be stopped by court injunction. That's what Leah's lawsuit is seeking to do. She's not just uh, looking for a payday in this in this lawsuit. This is the first time I've ever seen anybody take on, to put, put that language into a lawsuit against Scientology where they're actually looking for real world change, not just, you know, let's punish Scientology financially because Scientology will weather that. But if a court orders them to stop fair gaming people, that would be gigantic. I think also Leah's not going to back down, right? She's not Ooh. the sort of person. Like, historically, Scientology have managed to, however promising a lawsuit might sound, there's a number that Scientology will be able to come up with that says, well, you know, if we pay you this amount, will that stop you, the lawsuit? And, you know, historically, there have been people that have taken the settlement because it's a large, life-changing amount of money. I think with Leah Remini you don't have the risk of her settling out of court because I think she genuinely wants reform and change more than a payoff. So right. I think she's not going to back down. She's not there. She's not suing to make money. Yes, she will make money from it. Great. But she's suing because she wants to change the way they operate and they, she wants to to stop that abuse that, that happens through fair game. That's right. So I think we have a good chance here of that happening and i think a higher chance than than historically because historically people you know when when you sue scientology and scientology go well here's a hundred million dollars will that shut you up a lot of people you know don't blame them 
okay yeah that's a lot of money i can pay my medical bills and that would change my life and yeah okay i'll shut i'll shut up like that won't work with leah remini right that that simply won't work she won't back down i don't think now if leah's law if leah's team and i and i don't think there's ever been a team put together that is better than leah's team right now just based on the filings we've seen so far and that and the, the strategy they've that they're operating on I think these guys have a better chance of not letting Scientology do its usual drag this out for five years thing. They may they might have ways of forcing this to happen faster. But civil lawsuits are, you know, generally a pretty slow damn process. It's not a criminal case. It's not a criminal thing. I just get the sentiment with Leah from the get-go that she's like well prepared and knows what they're gonna throw at her. And she's not doing it for a payoff. She's doing it because she wants. And that is evidenced by the fact that she's asked for them to change their policy or stop employing fair game. I think she's in for the long haul and she's there to try and effect change rather than just try and win the court case. I agree. I think I, I, I genuinely think that she's not the sort of person that would back down i also think scientology wouldn't be stupid enough to offer her money they wouldn't try and settle with her <laughs> because they oh, know I, that they'll try to she, settle i don't know right, they'll, they'll try well they're gonna they'll only they'll only get there and they'll only do that after every single thing they try to get this thing dismissed yeah doesn't work That'll be their first line, right? Is is they're not even thinking settlement right now. They're thinking get rid of this thing, and they're and they're going in real hard on on uh, First Amendment to do that. And we'll see. You know, the the thing about ju- about judges and court cases like this is it's not just what the law says. It's a little bit of a coin toss in terms of the interpretation of those laws, as we've seen with the religious arbitration crap. You know, anybody with with their head on straight who understands Scientology as a judge would know immediately that their religious arbitration is a kangaroo court joke. And it is simply the entire purpose of it is to re-traumatize the victims. But no judge yet has actually bothered to be curious enough to find out that. Right. So we have issues with these with these things. It's not us. It's not always a smooth sailing activity as much as we wish it was. I want to be clear that I am nothing but supportive of Leah and her lawsuit. I'm not at any way thinking that Leah is, you know, eager to settle or wants to or something like that. I'm just saying that over time, these things can really wear a person down. And I and I believe that if there's anyone who I've ever seen who is not going to let that happen or is not going to settle, it would be Leah. So I want to be super clear about that. But um, I don't know. I just felt the need to devil's advocate that for a second. Sorry about that. No, I get uh, it. I get you know, we'll see what happens. As we, as we say, we don't know what's going to happen. We're, we're, you know, we're just kind of talking here. But these lawsuits are a good thing. I mean, let's be clear, right? This is a this is a very good thing. There's never been more exposure. There's never been as good and tight exposure of the fair game practices and the abusive nonsense that Scientology gets up to than what Leah is doing right now. And so, you know, massive, massive support and kudos to her uh, for that effort. And I'm sure there will be more over time, right? We've only got a handful of cases against Scientology right now. There should be 20, 30, 40, 50. You know, given how given how much how many lives it's ruined. Um, 
So well, let me ask all I'll say uh-huh. is watch this space because there's yeah. a lot of movement uh, here in the UK as well of stuff that uh, over the coming months will become more and more popular public knowledge. Um, I think that this has opened the floodgates and I think there's a lot of traction, not just in America, but here in the UK as well. Um, yeah. Scientology are under fire, certainly. And I think that it's only a matter of time before we start to see more people come forward with their personal stories of how Scientology has affected their lives in a negative way. And I think with the more stories that like that, that come out, the more we will start to see legal action off the back of that. Alex, thanks for the chat. Thank you, Chris. And a happy new year. Yeah, you too. This is gonna be a good. This is gonna be a good year. I, I'm I'm determined. I, I mean, I hope by the time this airs, my, my I'm not eating my words already. But I um I I am very very excited right now. I'm very pumped. I'm very revitalized. I have um I have some wonderful plans for this year. I know you do too, and I know that um this is just the beginning of our collaborations and work uh, together in this as uh, as we move forward. So anyway, thanks. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, guys and folks out there, uh, if you have not subscribed to Alex's YouTube channel, by the way, you should do so. There is a link in the description section below here, as well as, of course, subscribing to my podcast. Uh, Speaking of cults, uh, this week, of course, talking about Scientology. And uh, so sign up for that. Subscribe to my channel. Get all the good stuff. It's all here for you. And on that happy note, I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.